It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We have been talking about the radical teachings of Jesus over the past few weeks. We've really honed in on two Turn the other cheek and love your enemies. Now, we're going to spend some time today really uh, going through this verse by verse on this message of turning the other cheek. Next week, then, we're going to spend more time really examining how we are to love our enemies. I think that really is going to require us to examine what love is really all about, the agape love that is given to us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, as we understand what is the right response. After all, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have to have the right response in every given situation. It's an impossible task if we're trying to undertake this in the flesh. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, to rightly represent Jesus Christ our Lord and every given situation. And in these, you'll see here in a moment, uh, these examples that the Lord Jesus gives to us, maybe they're not as applicable to you today, but you might see just how you can relate with every given situation. Because behind the scenes, there's really the root of the matter, how we handle ourselves when we're insulted. And what we naturally want to do is our default is retaliate. And that's not the right response. So we're going to go through this detail by detail, verse by verse, rightly handling the word of truth. To help me do that here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is back with me. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. Such a privilege to be here. And as you know, before the opening, we were talking about just the privilege of being able to have a microphone to declare the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one of the things I'm sure our listeners have as well, I've really appreciated that you've done during this talk is to reach back into the Old Testament. Let's take a look at at how these things were looked at then. Let's take a look at the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus, and then what do these teachings look like now in our day-to-day lives? So I think super applicable. That's right. And I think that gives a greater context, right? When we really understand the cultural aspects, the history behind these, the backdrop behind each of these texts, we can have a greater appreciation and understanding for the text that we read. No longer is it just a a magnet on our refrigerator. Now it becomes (laughs) things we can live by because we understand how to properly apply them in our lives. So let's look at it here, uh, verses 38 to 42. Dr. Ford, do you have that handy? Maybe you can kick us off with this as we have labeled it, turn the other cheek. Uh, otherwise, if not, Dr. Ford, I'll just jump right into That'd it. Be great. Thank you, John. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've got it here right in front of me. Verses 38 to 40, 42, Matthew chapter 5. Here's what we read. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So if we kick this off, Dr. Ford, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And if we notice here what we were looking at over the last couple weeks, taking this back to the Old Testament and that instruction, last week we really examined how the Lord brought law and order into the system of things, that taking man from a barbaric state of this 
this depravity that we see in Genesis where he's grieved that he even makes man, and through the dispensations of giving his law and then ultimately into this church age, the time of grace, and the 1,236 instructions of the New Testament that would come uh, to people who were not trying to enact them by way of their flesh, but rather to be able to obediently follow them with the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do that. And and so here, as we look at this formula here, we immediately might think life for a life as we go back to the Old Testament laws, but rather he highlights here eye for eye in this first element. He says, but I tell you, And so the cases that Jesus cites here are not really life-threatening scenarios. I mean, listen, he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, if someone sues you for your clothes or asks you to go a mile or asks you for money, here's the right response in these scenarios. And these are issues really of insult, offense, inconvenience, or even being bothered. Right, troubled even for lending some money to help a brother in need. So Jesus says not to resist the evil person. You could translate that to say, do not retaliate against the evil person. Right. That's that's really the, the crux of this, right? The root of this issue that our natural default in our sin nature is always to retaliate. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you immediately <laughs> want them to feel your, your fury, yep. right? That they need to get theirs too. I mean, right. even over on the way to the studio here, just a moment ago, I was feeling that as I got cut off a number of times <laughs> by people and their reckless driving behaviors. And I'm thinking, I'm about to go talk about this on right. the radio and the Lord is putting me <laughs> into this position where I need to <laughs> practice what I preach right, right now, or even how I think yeah. uh, in, in this moment. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he's giving this instruction. So it, we have to assume here, or even just ex- as we examine this, that this is an instruction to his followers specifically, and that they should handle themselves in a certain way when they're naturally going to be offended, right? I mean, the sin nature in us is going to be offended. What is the right response in that? What, he's bringing about discipline in a, in a people who are really undisciplined, right? Especially at that time, as they're looking to the outward expressions of things, the law seemed to clean up the outward, right. and the Lord is going right to the root of the inward parts of the man. So uh, he's telling them, turn the other cheek, give your cloak as well as your tunic, go the extra mile, give or lend to the person who asks you. So again, retaliation is a natural reflex of the flesh. So what Jesus is teaching requires mental clarity, mission-mindedness in the heat of the battle. This is what we call spiritual discipline. Now there's that D word again, that discipline word. We don't do that very well in church today, do we? (laughs) No, not at all. I think you make a great point too with the heat of the battle is we need to make sure that we're already in that mindset before the battle happens. Even just, oh, like right. you said, being cut off in traffic. Uh, you know, If we're already <laughs> spending time with the Lord and we're praying and all those sorts of things, we already have that mindset. It's going to be a lot easier to act appropriately and pleasing to our Lord than if we've just kind of wandered off with sort of even mentally or even spiritually doing our own thing. Uh, okay, so I'm going to be totally transparent here. Uh, I'm not perfect. Um, I know, a shocker, right? Uh, <laughs> yesterday, I, I'm enjoying a, a wonderful day of, of just deep, intimate prayer with the Lord. I call those my solemn assembly moments. You know, there's a, a praying without ceasing that's to really to happen, almost a, like our prayer becomes like breathing. 
It's just part of our, our living, uh, the everydayness of life. We're in daily dialogue and communion with the Lord. Uh, you know, it says that Moses spoke to the Lord as likened unto a friend, face-to-face in conversation with the Lord. Amazing. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking about this as my whole day is transpiring and progressing throughout in this wonderful day of prayer and study and giving time to Him and just wonderful news coming in, answers to prayer. It's a great day. Okay, so I end the day with a time of bowling with my two sons. All right, so okay, so now I'm in a bowling alley and surrounded by people that use some colorful metaphors that I'm not, uh, I don't really like, and in, <laughs> in, in that environment. But nonetheless, I'm bowling and uh, I'm trying to remind myself I'm representing the Lord even here in a bowling alley at all times. Nearly everybody around me knows that I'm a pastor, right? So they'll try to you know bite their their tongue a little right. bit, maybe not say those words that they might normally use in that environment. Uh, so all of this is going on. Everything's going great. First two games, we have a lot of fun. Second game, third game, excuse me, third game, I don't bowl very well. Okay, so now I'm tired, long day. By the end of this game, I have bowled a terrible game. I mean, it's the worst game I've had all season, and my whole countenance changed with my performance. And I'm frustrated and I'm ready to, you know, in my mind, I'm picturing chucking my bowling ball, tossing my shoes and throwing a temper tantrum in response to this environment. And I'm, and I just had told myself all day, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, represent him well. What would be the best in this environment is to not perform well and yet still have a smile on my face. It's a first world problem. And I failed in every way in that last game. All day long, going well, high point with the Lord, totally failed in the heat of the moment. <laughs> yeah, I was laughing because I was laughing with you. Not Thank that. you. That's <laughs> <laughs> sort of, definitely a, been there, done that sort of thing. But you're right, we can get so caught up into the idea, it's almost deeply ingrained within us that we are only as good as we perform, which is not our relationship mm. with the Lord, not one iota. It doesn't yeah. matter. We can't perform our way into the kingdom of God as much right. as we might try to. Oh, it's strictly grace. Mercy. Yeah. <laughs> he is so gracious with me on a daily oh, basis. Because all this head knowledge has to be put to practice. And even when we think we've got it right and we have just uh, maybe said it over and over again in our minds, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. I'm going right. to do it right. And then, and we, then blow we blow it. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give some examples here uh, because time will get away from us. Let's look at what he says here. And I love the history behind these. Example one, he says, whoever slaps you on the right cheek. Now, I don't mean to slight anyone who's left-handed. My oldest daughter, Ashley, she happens to be a lefty. Love her dearly. She's got a sharp mind, wonderful young lady. But Jesus' example here is addressed specifically to a right-handed slapper. <laughs> you can even look Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. Uh, he says, if you're right-handed then, you know, and you're slapping someone on the right cheek, if you're right-handed, you're not going to hit them on the right cheek. You'd hit them on the left. So to hit somebody on the right cheek, you've given them a backhanded slap, okay? So to the Jews, they considered a backhanded slap twice as insulting as a slap with the palm of your hand. It wasn't a slap of physical conflict. Rather, it was a slap of insult. So let, let's put it in a scenario here. Now, suppose this happens to you one day. You're, you're going about your business, and someone you know walks up to you and unjustly insults you by giving you a backhanded slap across the face. Your first instinct would probably be to strike back, right? right? It's Italianic jargon, a slap for a slap. 
right? So, but here's how ridiculous things got. And the the Jewish rabbis, they had a law based on an oral tradition that we find in the Mishnah that said you could seek restitution in court for an insult like that. Listen, the offending party would be required to pay 200 zuz. Now, a zuz was a Hebrew silver coin, one quarter of a shekel. It'd be about $3.25 in in U.S. denominations because it was about 3.5 grams of pure silver. So we're talking $650 for a front-handed slap and 400 zuz or $1,300 for a backhanded one. So in that culture, you could take someone to court and sue them ultimately for the the insult, for the value of that insult, right? So they put a monetary value on your being insulted. So here we have to remember that Jesus is contrasting that system with his righteousness. Whatever the Pharisees had added over a thousand oral traditions to the 613 laws that are given in the Torah, he's always contrasting righteousness that goes to a heart matter with their outward appearance of righteousness, because all of this is about being ambassadors from Christ for Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So according to Jesus, not only do you not strike them back or take that person to court or even just walk away or even just stand there and raise your voices of saying, why did you do that? You're not to do any of those things. Rather, he says to actively and voluntarily Turn the other cheek, exposing it to a further strike. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing demonstration of power under control. That's the discipline we are to seek by way of the Holy Spirit. I agree completely. That's that's an example of God-level forgiveness. And the, the same <laughs> way, that, yeah, control yeah. the way that He responds to us so many times. I just think, oh, how many times has has God turned the other cheek, you know, right. in my relationship with him and how many times has he forgiven me? And, and as you were reading this, I just thought, you know, what, one of the things it seems to be, is he really talking about pride? Because it's really, if it's mm. an insult, that's our pride that's hurt. That's right. And pride is just brutal. Uh, you know, the sense that you have to defend it and it can make you angry and, you know, all those other things. And the Lord wants to relieve us of that burden. That's right. I mean, going back to my bowling bowling alley scenario, that was my pride, right? I had my pride in front of my sons, in front of those who were watching me perform. I've been there. And it was my, I can label it as competitive spirit. No, no, it's pride at the root of that uh, because I was embarrassed by my performance. But actually, I compounded the situation by how I acted and I worsened the condition. I, I compounded the problem because now my behavior made the matter worse. They probably didn't even care right. what my score was, really. Right. I mean, we Just, care so much about what people yeah, think, right. what we wear and how we dress, all these things that, you know, for wearing a Rolex or something, nobody can even see the logo. Nobody right. cares, really. Uh, but to us, it's about our pride. Yeah. And, and that's the root of this. And that's why it's the love of money that mm. he talks about in that's these right. matters. And we'll get to some of that teaching as well. But let's look at example number two. Example two, if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, now, we can't imagine something like that. In Western culture, we're, we're struggling probably without proper context. Now, why would anyone want to sue someone for a piece of clothing? Now, it, it is hard to understand this one without some Old Testament background. I and mean, we just talked about that earlier. So you have to find some of that context from Exodus chapter 22, verses 25 to 27, and Deuteronomy 24, 10 to 13. So under the Old Testament borrowing laws, A poor person who borrowed money, 
they could provide a garment as a pledge or collateral to help ensure that that person, that they were able to carry the loan. So that was the collateral against that loan. So a normal practice at the time would be that a, a person would wear this lighter inner tunic and also a heavier outer garment or cloak because of the colder weather conditions. I mean, even in the desert, it gets cold at night. So why would a person give such a piece of clothing clothing for collateral? Why would they give up this perhaps an outer garment or even the inner garment? Well, if you if they're really poor, and believe me, they had quite a few poorer folks, so it would get awfully cold at night. And depending on that time of year, it could even be colder. So it, it, the Old Testament had this provision that required that the garment be returned to the poor person every night for their warmth. So let's just say that a poor person took out a 30-day loan, and the loan periods were much shorter back then than we imagine a 30-day loan today. But no interest would be charged, and the pledge, which was the garment, would have to be exchanged between the borrower and the lender each day. So we're talking about 60 times over that 30-day period of time, they would have to trade this garment back and forth. So the lender was not allowed to go into the borrower's house and had to return the garment every night. So the borrower, the borrower was to return the garment back to the lender each morning until this, this debt was paid. I mean, imagine that. It seems like it's almost too much work, right? <laughs> it does. So if someone were to violate the provisions of this agreement, this is where all the laws started to get put into place here. What if the poor person felt rightly that the loan had already been paid off and the exchange of the garment was no longer required? This is where a lawsuit could happen. And the Pharisees had detailed all the rules of this. So here Jesus is helping them understand, look at your situation here. He gives them this bold and radical approach. He says in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also, right? So if he wants to take the inner, give him the outer or vice versa. So he doesn't say sue him back. He doesn't say use the courts to prove you're correct. He doesn't even say just go ahead and you know, rightly give him that garment. I mean, after all, Deuteronomy said if the one garment was returned according to the law, that was enough, right? So according to the letter of the law, if you've lost that particular garment or if you've gotten it back, okay, that's fine. You know, you know, it's all dealt with. But Jesus then adds and he says, give them both. That's, that's amazing. He's taking it up a whole nether notch here. Jesus here is not only setting a standard of righteousness that's different from the scribes and the Pharisees, but he's also going beyond the specific standard that was set forth there in the Mosaic law. Jesus' teaching is running in a deeper channel, setting the by this bar higher than any of them would have ever followed according to the Mosaic law. Yeah, so it seems like, not only as, we, as we've discussed, Jesus is trying to free us from our pride. He's also trying to free us even from our love of possessions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. Amen. I mean, so this begs the question, who really owns both garments? Right, right. Amen. I mean, God does. So he's going to take care of you and ensure that justice That's is right. done. And he'll he'll address all of this because we're anxious about everything. And where our identity is so wrapped up in what we own, again, yeah. back to the pride issue. Right. He addresses this further in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And example number three, he says, whoever compels you to go one mile. Now, we understood this historically, that the Roman law required an individual from a conquered country to carry a load or pack 
up to a mile on foot if asked to do so. So it was very unpopular. I mean, anybody who was asked to carry something a mile, they did so begrudgingly. I mean, this was not something that they would have done uh, without grumbling under their breath, most certainly. So you see that in Matthew 27, 32, when Simon was forced to carry the cross of Christ. So we can look at this and go, okay, what would be the alternative? If you were asked to carry something a mile for this Roman soldier, your oppressor, I mean, what would you really do? I mean, would you retaliate? Would you physically assault them? Would you verbally resist or even deny the request or run like the Dickens? I mean, what would you really do? I mean, nothing is going to pan out favorably for you. I mean, what are you going to do? Try to overthrow Rome? Well, I mean, Judas of Galilee tried to do that unsuccessfully. Even later on, right before the temple is destroyed, we see in 70 AD, every time they tried to bring up a coup of retaliation or insurrection, uh, some revolutionary yeah. who would rise and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to pay that tax, that cane sauce tax of the census tax. I'm not going to do it anymore and try to resist. It only yeah, it leads to well. hundreds or thousands being slaughtered. Right. In that case, in 70 AD, it was millions Awful. slaughtered. Yeah. Right? So the Lord is, is, is basically helping them to think through all of this. What are you going to gain in an act of retaliation in this way? And he says, go with him too. What an amazing thought here. It's not just do it without being, uh, you know, angry about it or frustrated about it. Go take it up a notch, double it. I mean, what might the response of the Roman soldier be who just witnessed an unexpected, right. powerful testimony Amen. of Christian discipleship? Yeah. Show them that you follow a higher power and, and that you're willing to be inconvenienced when wrongfully pulled away to do something from maybe some urgent task that you had to do. I imagine for most of us, we're thinking, I'm already busy enough. I don't have time to help that person change their tire, right? Yeah, it reminds me of the old saying, preach the gospel, and when all else fails, use words. <laughs> that's right, through your actions, that's right. And, uh, you know, Dr. Ford, I don't know that we have enough time to talk about it today, but the, the fourth one's probably the biggest one for us that we deal with more on a regular basis, but the person who's asking you for money. And I would say to the listener, go and read Deuteronomy 15, 7 to 10 for a little backdrop on that. Uh, but then you see in Luke chapter 6, verses 34 to 35, and if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. So again, this was an instruction to brothers, but the real attitude here is hoping for nothing in return. You have to acknowledge that it's the Lord who has given to you. He has poured out an abundance upon us. We lack nothing truly that God can't provide us he provided for his people in the wilderness. He will provide for us. And often these are tests of our faith. Yeah. Can we let that go? We put a value on it, but how much more valuable are you or that person unto God that your testimony would open doors for the gospel message to go forth? That's, right. That's the key. This is about life-saving work, not about you getting your lawnmower back, <laughs> right? Or about that $5 to right, get back. Exactly. We get so caught up on temporary things. Yep. We got to have a bigger mission-mindedness. That's ultimately what the Lord's calling us to. That's how we're going to have the right response in this matter. Again, we didn't get to cover everything that I want you to process from the study, but Dr. Ford, as we look next week 
to loving our enemies. Maybe we can bring some of this all full circle here. I think 1 Peter 3, 8-9 really sums it up. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Keep your eyes on the prize, brothers and sisters. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. We've got one more in this particular study, so we'll wrap up the first two of the 24 radical teachings of Jesus Christ. We hope you're encouraged through this study. If you want to learn more or just even go worship with other brothers and sisters, you can learn more about our ministry at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church at calvaryfountain.com. Again, it's calvaryfountain.com, and services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.